This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Nicole Sook. Nicole is a principal at Wyndham Brennan, a mid-tier accounting firm based in Atlanta, USA. With over 20 years of experience in both industry and public accounting, Nicole now uses her extensive knowledge base to support clients grow their businesses domestically and abroad. In today's episode, Nicole shares with us her story of growing up in different countries and how this experience shaped her expertise in international services. You'll learn the things you need to consider when deciding to expand into the US, find out how to navigate complex legal and regulatory landscape, and Nicole dives into the corporate structures you will need to consider. Let's jump in. Nicole, it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show today. Thank you very much. A pleasure to talk with you again. Great to meet you in November and glad to continue the conversation. Yeah, well, we did have a chat um, in Disney World. We were there for the Abacus Conference, mm-hmm. so it wasn't just for fun. You live in Atlanta, you practice in Atlanta, but you have a really unique upbringing. We had a conversation in mm-hmm. Orlando about your travels as a kid. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the story? Yeah, no. So I was actually born out in Washington State, so on the other side of the country, about as far from Atlanta as you can get. And my father joined the Air Force when I was about a year old. First, we moved to Texas, then we moved to England. And, you know, this was sort of during the Vietnam War, and he never actually went to war, but he did leave the Air Force sort of as soon as he could and decided to join the State Department. So my whole life was spent moving every two years from country to country. He worked in the embassies all over the world. And so it was a very good upbringing for me. I mean, I love seeing different parts of the world. And I graduated high school in Munich, Germany. And at that time, my dad was actually moving back to Washington, D.C. to work at the State Department. So I decided to come to college here on the East Coast, as we call it. And I chose Georgia Tech here in Atlanta, even though I had never been to the southern part of the United States, never been to Atlanta. But this is where I I came to school. And I actually came here and studied mechanical engineering. That's what my degree is in. I do not have an accounting degree, (laughs) which a lot of people do not know about me. But I, you know, did engineering for a very short time, graduated, worked for about a year and a half, said engineering is not for me and decided to go back to school and get my accounting classes so I could become a CPA. And that's sort of where I've landed today. Wow. Now, you must be bilingual, more than bilingual. How many languages can you speak? So I lived in Moscow when I was about 8 to 10 years old, and I picked it up very quickly. I knew Russian almost fluently because we learned it in school every day, and I'd be out using it. It's all gone now. After Russia, we moved to Vienna, Austria, where I learned German. And then two years there. So when you only take a language for two years, even though you're sort of immersed in it with the environment, you don't always 
retain as much as you like. We moved to Saudi Arabia and I said, I am not taking Arabic. I don't need another language. <laughs> so then after that, that's when we moved back to Germany and you know, I did three more years of German. But if you don't use it on a daily basis, it's very hard to retain. But I, I do, you know, when I go back to Germany, it sort of comes back to me a little bit. I can sort of understand it and read it more than I can speak it, but it does come back to me a little bit. You named a few countries there. Were there any others you grew up living in? I lived in Trinidad. That was the first assignment that my father had with the State Department. We lived in, and it was always in the capital cities. But yeah, it was Trinidad to Moscow, and Moscow was by far the most interesting. It was during the 1980 Olympics that the U.S. ended up boycotting, so we could not go. Still very communist, very different. But I was an eight-year-old child, and there was snow from October to May, so... It was the perfect place for me. I loved Moscow. Probably my favorite place that I lived. In Australia today, as we're recording this, it's first day of school and my grade one mm-hmm. was in tears. I'm like, you're in grade one, Nance, why are you in tears? You get nervous. You would have gone from so many different schools. You would have been quite robust but also amazing at making friends. Do you say that that has was, translated into adulthood? It was very difficult. I will say probably every first day of school at a new school I came home crying. And then by day two, you have friends. And I think kids are very resilient. I mean, I say that to my kids all the time. You will adapt. You do become very resilient. But, you know, my father would put in for new assignments about six months before we left. And it was always so exciting to think about where you're going next. And he would put in for, say, 10 different places. We wouldn't know where it was going to be. And we always got so excited to leave that you didn't even think about everything that you were leaving because you were so excited to move on to a new place. But yes, it was very difficult making new friends, but then I would make a new friend in every place and it was a good friendship, you know, because it was other Americans usually. And you have that. I went to smaller schools. I went to international schools, so I didn't go to the large schools that my kids have here in the U.S. You know, my graduating class in Munich was 39 people. I think that my son's graduating class was 1,200. I mean, they're huge. Wow. So much different. Yeah, much different. So traveled around the world, you're an engineer, and then you became an accountant, which I think (laughs) if you're an engineer first and then become an accountant, that's the accountant Mm -hmm. you want because they're process driven, they know everything. And then because of, I mean, I don't know how this worked, but you've had such wide travels and then you got into international Mm -hmm. tax. So tell us about your specialty at Wyndham Brennan. You're a principal there. So talk about the business, Mm -hmm. your role within the business and specifically how you entered into international tax. So Wyndham Brannon is based out of Atlanta, as you said. We currently have one office in Atlanta. We've actually just recently opened another very small office up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is about an hour and a half north of Atlanta. We're a full-service audit, well, they say assurance now, tax, advisory, small business accounting, valuation. I mean, we do a little bit of everything. I am only tax. I've not done any of those other things, so I am not the person to get advice on those other things. But I do know the right people to talk to. But it's about 180 to, we may be approaching 200 person firm. It's a great firm. I came to work for Wyndham Brandon because it's family first, employees first. That's the most important to me. If you're not happy with the people that you work with and happy going to your job every day, then it's not a good job. I came to the firm and because of my sort of engineering background, I tend to like manufacturing clients. I'm very familiar with being in a plant. I've worked in a few plants and I enjoy the manufacturing companies and they tend to be corporations 
And a lot of them have international touches, either they're subsidiaries abroad where they manufacture or foreign companies that set up U.S. manufacturing here in the United States. So when one of our partners retired soon after I came to Wyndham Brandon, I started at Wyndham Brandon in 2012. And a couple of years after that, one of my partners retired and he had sort of led the international practice. And at that point, he sort of handed it over to me. It was just sort of a natural progression because of the types of clients that I already had. And with the upbringing that I had, I enjoy the international part of it. I enjoy working with international clients and other member firms such as yourself and the advocate community. So it was just sort of a natural fit for me to take on that role. Well, we're going to get straight into it because... Aussies, we have a very small population in in Australia. We have some amazing businesses that want to grow. And one of the avenues for growth for Australian companies is to expand internationally. And being a little brother of the US, a lot of these companies want to crack into the US purely because of obviously the language barriers aren't there, the population. And then, you know, if you do crack it in the US, there could be significant gains, not only for the business, but also for the people involved. So, Today, I wanted to talk and pick your brain on this international tax and give back to some of our Australian businesses that want to expand in there. So my first question, as a foreign company, what are some of the factors that need to be considered when deciding to expand into the US? So, you know, the trickiest thing about the United States is it's one of the few countries in the world that has a worldwide taxation system. Once you're in the US, the US wants a piece of everything. And so you have to be very careful about putting that first foot in U.S. soil, because as soon as you do, that could open up a whole, I guess an expression, I don't know if you have this expression in Australia, but a whole can of worms. Yep, we do. So we want to be very careful that if you do come into the U.S., you're doing it with the intention of sort of staying. We have the concept of permanent establishment, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but it gets very tricky when you get into the U.S., especially if you start up a business and you send employees over here. You know, most oftentimes we'll say, if you're going to do business with U.S. customers, set up a U.S. subsidiary. It's very simple to set up a U.S. company. You can have an attorney. And one difference with a lot of, I know, European firms, and I'm not sure if Australia is this way, but we as accountants, CPAs, cannot offer legal advice. And as such, we also cannot form companies for our clients. And they'll reach out to us and they'll say, can you set up a company? We say, we can't do that, but we can put you in touch with an attorney that can. So an attorney will form a company. You can actually go on LegalZoom and form companies very simply. But an attorney will help you set up with all the documentations that you need. Now, the first thing you have to decide is what state am I going to set up in? A lot of times that's Delaware because it's very easy. It's sort of similar, I guess, to using the Netherlands as a holding company where you don't necessarily have to have a physical presence there. And it's very easy to operate as a foreign owner in the state of Delaware. So... You have to be mindful of it. If you are going to have a U.S. presence and you want to set up customers or especially if you're going to have a physical location, set up a subsidiary. Keep your Australian or your other foreign entities out for taxation purposes, because if you don't, the U.S. is going to try to you know, require that those foreign entities file U.S. tax returns. And that gets a little bit tricky. 
Yeah, well, that does open a massive can of worms. So take mm-hmm. us through the different states and the different taxes. So just explain what some of the differences are with federal taxes versus state and is there anything to do with local. I know that we've had lots of engagements in prior meetings we've had with clients. You mentioned in one of the meetings, and I didn't know this, that in the US there's no VAT or GST or value-added tax. Okay. So can you yeah. just run us a bit of a brief overview of just tax 101 in the U.S.? So we have the federal tax, income tax, and depending on what type of entity is being taxed, the rate varies. So for a corporation, the tax rate is a flat 21%, which is very low. That was actually lowered back at the end of 2017 and had previously been a tiered rate as high as 35%, which put the U.S. as one of the highest corporate rates in the world. When they lowered it down to 21%, to actually put them about middle or even a little bit lower than middle. So you have the federal income tax rate of 21%, and then you have, we have 50 states, and every state has a different income tax rate. There are several states that do not have an income tax. For example, I think Wyoming does not have a corporate income tax for corporations. Florida is one that does not have a corporate income tax for individuals, but does for corporations. So a lot of our high net worth people like to move to Florida because there's no state income tax. There are some states like California that will tax you as high as they possibly can. It's probably one of the most difficult states to do business in because the tax rate is so high. I live in Georgia where it's a fairly middle tax state, I would say. The corporate tax rate is 6%. The individual rate, or actually the corporate rate was also lowered, 5.75%. Individual rate is 5.75%. So, you know, you have to look to see where you want to do your business. You can't necessarily let the state income tax rate rule where you're going to be because you may be in one state and still have a filing requirement in another state. So if I go up and I set up in the state of Nevada, for example, and I put an office in Nevada, and Nevada has no income tax, but all of my customers are in California, and I'm going into California to perform services, I'm still going to have to pay California income taxes. That doesn't get me out of that. So you have to be very mindful of where your customers are, where your employees are. And and it is possible that you could be in a state, you know, for example, Georgia uh, sources the income to where the customer is located, not necessarily where the service is performed. So you could end up with much less than 100% rate overall when you look at the states that have no taxes or that may not have an income tax nexus because of what you're doing in that state. So you have to be careful. So that's the income taxes. No, we don't have a VAT. We're one of the very few countries in the world that does not have a VAT. However, we do have sales tax, and that is a state-level sales tax, and it varies by state. There are some states that have no sales tax. For example, the state of Oregon has no sales tax, but right next door is Washington, who has no income tax, but they have a high sales tax. So you have to be careful. You know, the states are going to get their taxes in some way. It's just a matter of how they tax you. Now, what's a little different on the sales tax than the VAT is most services are not subject to the sales tax. It's generally only going to be the sale of tangible property. But if I am a customer and my inventory in my office is in Georgia and I'm shipping product to the state of California, I have to charge California sales tax and collect that and remit it to the state of California. So it does get very tricky trying to keep up with 50 different states and 50 different rules for the various tax requirements. Well, forget the can of worms. It sounds like a minefield. It is. It is. And it's a lot. 
when foreign entities come over and set up a U.S. subsidiary, it's a lot for them to take in, yeah. especially with the various In Australia, just to put it as a comparison to the listeners is we generally have obviously income tax collected by the federal government and that's Australia-wide. Everyone gets corporate tax rates. They're small and large and it varies in the small companies pay less, large pays more, small is 25% Mm -hmm. and large is 30%. But it's not governed mm-hmm. by the states. It's wherever you are, you pay that. And then we have GST. And, the again, the federal government collects the VAT. So really the state mm-hmm. taxes, the states only really collect tax around property transfers, which we call stamp duty, some stuff around payroll tax where you go above a limit, and a couple of other little indirect taxes here and there. So most of the tax collectors are feds. And then the federal government distributes mm-hmm. the money in accordance to what the state needs based on what they want to do and, and whatnot. Whereas it sounds like in America, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that in America the states are like on their own and it's like the feds take the 21%. Obviously there's individuals and stuff, but the feds take 21% of corporate right. and then like the government's probably going, well, you, the states can do whatever they want in a way and that's how they – produce income sounds like there'd be a lot of competition between the states to attract business and all that kind of stuff so it does sound like a minefield but obviously you need someone like yourself and your firm to put that through but let's dive a little bit deeper into that particular example so if I had a client that did set up in let's call it Delaware their location was in call it California and they have one customer just for simplicity in Atlanta. So their company Mm -hmm. was established in Delaware. Their location is in California. Their customers in Atlanta. Can you take us through maybe just a little example of what they're filing or what they're giving away? So it kind of depends on what the service or the product is. Let's say it's services, not product. Okay. Services, not product. Okay. So that makes a big difference. So let's say we incorporate in the state of Delaware, but we have no physical presence in Delaware. We have no employees. We have no office. We don't have a customer. You're not required to file an income tax return in Delaware. All you would file would be your annual capital tax, sort of annual report registration based on your capital tax. But there's no income tax filing requirement there. California, you have an office. So I'm assuming you have a physical location. You have people. The minute you put a person in a state, you now have an income tax filing requirement. There are a few exceptions for salespeople if you have somebody that's only sales. But for the most part, if you have somebody in a state or if you have property in a state, and property could just be storing inventory. But if you have physical office location, now they're saying you are doing business in that state and you have to report income taxes to the state of California. Now, that doesn't mean that 100% of your income is going to be taxed in California. We apportion it out. And we apportion it out based on various factors. So let's say I have an office in location or office location in California, but my customer is in Georgia. Well, if it's a service company, am I going to Georgia to perform that service or am I performing it from California? If I'm physically going to Atlanta and going to Georgia to perform that service, now Georgia is going to say, okay, you've been here, you've touched our state, you now have an income tax filing requirement in the state of Georgia. And so both California and Georgia, they apportion their income based on gross receipts. So you would look at where did my revenue come from? Well, in this example, let's say Georgia was my only customer. 100% of my revenue came from Georgia. I have none of my revenue coming from California. So I still have to file an income tax return in California, 
but I would only pay a minimum $800 tax because I have no income allocated to the state of California. All of my income is going to be allocated to Georgia. But let's say I had two customers. One was in Atlanta and one was in, let's say, Nevada. Again, Nevada has no income tax. And let's say it was 50-50 in each state, the revenue. So 50% of my income is not going to be taxed in Georgia. Nothing taxed in Nevada because it's a no-income tax state. And then nothing taxed in California because I have no revenue there. So it just all kind of, you know, depends on the state and the service, if it's physical presence. But if I was sitting in California doing all of that work from California and I never set foot into Georgia, I wouldn't have a Georgia income tax next. So I always say, well, it depends. I hate to say it all of the time, but there are so many different situations. And because this is a service company, most likely no sales tax requirements. But let's say I performed a service and as part of it, let's say my service was consulting and then I printed a book that I then sent my client. Well, now I've just sent them physical products. That becomes a sales tax requirement. It's very, very tricky. The states have all of the power. And that was part of our constitution with state rights. That was the big deal with the U.S. Constitution was that states had the right to govern themselves. And so you're correct that 21% federal tax or the individual rate goes to the federal government but most taxes are state level. Our sales tax, our, there's a state payroll tax, there's property taxes are all at a state level. So the states are all self-funded through their own taxes. Wow. Record keeping must be so important to business owners. You just cannot do a off the back of a tissue paper style record keeping. It'd be quite intensive in ensuring that you've got the right record keeping. So a bit of work there. Whereas, you know, over the years in Australia, as that or GST was introduced, our record keeping got better. But um, I would have thought in the US, a lot of record keeping needs to be on, on par. Thanks for listening to part one of this two-part chat. Join us next episode for the conclusion of this conversation. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.